Hello, <clears throat> welcome to this week's podcast. We are in unusual times, that's for sure. We've actually not worshipped together for the last two Sundays now. Had intended to record worship for my podcast and forgot in the midst of trying to figure out Zoom. Yesterday we uh, did worship by Zoom but didn't get that recorded. And so today's podcast will serve really as the only recorded episode of this of worship for March 29th. This is a steep learning curve for us. And so we hope to kind of get it all to come together this coming Sunday for Palm Sunday. And we will worship uh, live via Zoom. And then the recording of the Zoom will be uploaded to Facebook and also to uh, my personal YouTube channel. I will also, uh, again, attempt to remember to, to do the podcast. So thank you for patience in the midst of all of this. Let's begin with prayer. Lord of love, you have taught us that love is your greatest commandment. In the midst of a world that is so rapidly changing and uh, in times of uncertainty, reassure us that no matter what's going on, all things are in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is from Mark chapter 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when this will be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep a watch. Keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. I'm not sure that I would have necessarily chosen such an apocalyptic passage to read right now, when we're already living in something that can seem a little bit apocalyptic. But here we are. And this passage is an apocalypse. It's a type of writing that deals with the end times. We could spend hours talking about apocalyptic literature, but we won't. But we do need to talk a little about how this kind of writing works. First of all, apocalypse means revelation. 
Apocalyptic writing reveals the work of God, which in our day-to-day life can seem kind of invisible, especially during times of crisis. Second, apocalypses deal with God's fight against evil. In apocalyptic writing, these things happening on earth are a reflection of that cosmic battle against evil. Apocalypses try to capture that cosmic battle in images of beasts and dragons and heroic features. Signs in the cosmos reveal the upheaval as the old passes away and the new is born. Third, in the apocalyptic passages in the Bible, there are three main bad guys. Egypt, who enslaved Israel, Babylon, who carried Israel into exile, and Rome, the country which conquered and then occupied Israel during the time of Jesus and Mark. In apocalyptic writing, those three bad guys act as forces of Satan against God and God's people. Fourth, apocalyptic writing is meant to encourage people living in a time of crisis. It says that no matter what things look like now, in the end, God wins over all evil. The apocalypses in the Bible were written when terrible things were happening or about to happen. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, Jerusalem had been decimated by Babylon. Leaders and any of the people who had property, wealth, or prestige had all been carried off into exile. Daniel, during this time, had a vision of four beasts who represented four evil kings. In his vision, Daniel was taken into heaven before the throne of God. Then the Son of Man appeared in the vision before the throne and was given dominion over all the earth. So in this little apocalypse of Mark's gospel, Jesus is calling up images from Daniel's apocalyptic prophecies. And not only that, but he is claiming that he himself is this Son of Man, the one who would ultimately defeat the forces of evil. The Roman Empire, of course, is the bad guy during the time of Jesus and Mark. Most scholars believe that Mark wrote his gospel between 65 and 75 A.D. In 66 A.D., the Jewish people, led by a group called the Zealots, revolted against Roman rule. At first, they had some success. But Rome was too big and too powerful. In 70, Rome put Jerusalem under a siege for four months. In August of 70, the Romans broke the siege. A flaming arrow caught the walls of the city on fire. The fire spread to the temple and the surrounding neighborhood. People died in the furious flames. They died when they were trampled by others trying to escape. They died under the ultimately uncontrolled swords of the Roman soldiers who left slaughter in their path. The temple was almost totally destroyed. That was the event that Jesus could already see simmering on the horizon. And it was likely either imminent or had already happened when Mark wrote his gospel. It truly was apocalyptic. It was the end of something. It was the end of the temple. But not only that, it was the end of the institutional religion that the temple housed. It meant the end of the temple as a sign of God's dwelling place on earth. But apocalypse never just has one meaning. And so this apocalypse, the meaning goes far beyond just the destruction of the temple. It also parallels Jesus' passion and points to a new future. And you look at some parallels, particularly in the concluding part of today's passage. Readers are invited to see in the concluding part of the passage Jesus' last supper in the evening. They're invited to see Jesus' arrest at midnight in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're invited to see Peter's denial at cockcrow. And then they're invited to see the beginning of Jesus' trial at dawn. In the place of a burning temple... Readers are invited to see Jesus on a cross. But that's not where the image ends, because the cross isn't in the end, isn't the end. In the cross, one age ends, but in the resurrection, a new one begins. 
and that one will culminate in Jesus' return in glory to rule over the whole cosmos. This cycle of endings and beginnings, victory over evil and the birth of new creation, is the story in every apocalypse. The apocalyptic writings point to the past, to God's victory over evil in Egypt and evil in Babylon. Here it points forward to Jesus' victory over the forces of evil in the Roman Empire. But it points even further into the future. It points to a future in which all oppressive systems and governments are under God's judgment and will come to an end. Because of Christ's death, death and resurrection, evil has been defeated. That is the reality that's hidden under all the ongoing tribulations of the world. Beneath every earthquake, every war, every famine, every pandemic, God's new age is still unfolding. But God's real promise is what comes after all that. The end of all things doesn't come with the violence and the upheaval. The end of all things and the rebirth of the cosmos is when Jesus returns in glory. On a more personal level, beneath every death, every sickness, job loss, addiction, betrayal, divorce, violence, God's promise is that Jesus comes to us to bring us to rebirth, just as the entire cosmos will experience rebirth at the last. This promise is a promise of hope, not despair. It's a promise of healing, not violence. It's a promise of victory over evil, the evil in others and the evil in us. But about that day, no one knows. So in the meantime, we wait. We wait like a woman whose child grows inside her. We wait for the new birth of the cosmos. We recognize that all times have been filled with wars and earthquakes and droughts and epidemics. And so we wait, seeing those frightening events as labor pains of a cosmos being birthed. And the waiting can be hard. Mark's readers had likely expected Jesus' return very soon. But now, nearly 2,000 years later, it still hasn't happened. And I think we can all relate to waiting right now. We're all hunkered down at home or we're at work in a much more restrictive environment than we're used to. We're learning new ways to do our work. We're waiting for the sudden surge of COVID-19 cases we're told is imminent. We may feel a tinge of fear, wondering if we or someone we love will be one of them. We get impatient with waiting. But whether we know it or not, we are waiting for more than just this pandemic to run its course. This is the part that Jesus talks about where we wait, where we keep awake, where we keep watch. Jesus is off on a journey, and while we await his return, he's left us to take care of the place. Keeping awake, waiting, keeping watch means taking care of one another and taking care of creation. And right now, that means following the instructions to flatten this curve. It means doing all we can to prevent hospitals from being overrun. Although I can't say for sure Jesus won't return in the next couple months, odds are he won't. And so even as we wait for the end of this tribulation, we keep awake, we keep watch. We seek what is ours to do in this crisis. We look for ways to offer hope and help. But then what about after all this? Many have talked about the possibility that this is kind of a giant reset button, a chance to rethink about what's important. Maybe this will bring a bit of rebirth. If we survived a couple months of limited activity, do we really want to go back to the frantic pace so many of us tried to keep? Can we actually have learned to live more in the moment? And if we learn that the environment and the climate have been helped by this even a little, are we willing to continue to do the work to allow further healing? As we've worked so hard to connect with one another under difficult circumstances and learn new ways to connect, will we learn to cherish those connections and work to strengthen them? 
And if we were willing to sacrifice so much for the vulnerable during this crisis, might we not be able to keep on doing that? And what of our economic and political systems will we learn didn't really work and are in need of change? Underneath everything that's happening, God's new creation is unfolding. We wait for the completion of that. But is it possible that all this is giving us a little glimpse of what it could look like? I don't know, but I have to confess that amidst the upset, the anxiety, the impatience, and the frustration, I occasionally get glimmers of hopefulness about what happens after this, a hopefulness that new things will be born. This time may not be the ultimate end of all things, but things will be different after it. In the meantime, we can trust that the world is in God's hands and that in the end, God is pulling us forward to new birth. Amen. I would invite you as you pray in the coming week to uh, reflect on uh, God's work, how is God's kingdom unfolding underneath what we can see going on. Look for signs where the kingdom's breaking through, even just a little bit. And pray, pray for our nation, pray for the world, pray for um, wisdom for our leaders as they uh, try to lead us through this time in the way that minimizes uh, the loss of life as much as possible. Thanks for joining.